There are a lot of good guitar teachers out there who work hard to find new, interesting ways to help students learn the fundamentals. Chords, scales, sight reading, picking patterns. But what is it that makes a teacher great? As I think back 30 years or so to my earliest instructors, the memories that stand out most have hardly anything to do with academics. When I was 12 years old, my first guitar teacher was a stuffy classical taskmaster at the university who made me feel like an idiot for wanting to switch to electric guitar. Luckily, before long, mom got me out of there and took me to Herger Music, the only guitar shop in Provo, Utah at the time. It was a cozy, meandering old one-story house with a weird second story slapped onto the back to make a few small lesson rooms. I started taking lessons from Jim Busby there in 1985, and the contrast between him and old stick-up-the-butt couldn't be more stark. Jim always came down to meet me for our lesson wearing a big, friendly smile and a blue-burst Yamaha solid body that I could tell he really loved. But what stuck with me most about Jim wasn't even from one of our lessons. In fact, it happened a couple of years later, after I'd moved on to take lessons from the shop's intermediate instructor. One day, I was in the Herger foyer talking with Jim and a student of his that I'd never met, a teenager who was kind of bragging about how good he was. Jim listened with a smile and didn't burst the kid's bubble or anything, but he subtly turned the conversation toward me, praising me up and down for how dedicated and enthusiastic I'd been about our lessons. It was probably the first time a fellow musician complimented me, and as a shy, insecure kid with few musical friends, it did wonders for my confidence. And then there was Paul Swan, who wasn't even really a guitar teacher. He looked like a short-haired Frank Zappa, and he was the coolest band teacher Timbu High School ever had. Despite the school's old-fashioned and uptight principle, Mr. Swan fought to establish a class for misfits who were passionate about playing music, but didn't want to be in stuffy old jazz band or orchestra. The class began my first year of high school, and it brought three other firsts with it. My first experience playing in a rock band, the first time I helped write a song, and my first public performance ever, in front of a thousand of our classmates. But these firsts weren't the only things that made Mr. Swan's class special. I still remember the day he pulled us away from rehearsing not-so-great renditions of Beastie Boys and U2 songs and made us sit down in his spacious office to listen to a bunch of his old LPs, including Zappa. He'd play a song that seemed pretty simple and straightforward, then ask us to list the instruments we heard. We could identify the stuff that was prominent in the mix easily enough, but when Paul said stuff like, you hear that in the background there? That's actually a conga. Hear how it subtly changes the feel of the verse? It transformed from a boring, pointless exercise into a priceless lesson in shutting up and actively listening. My last formal guitar teacher was Mike Dowdle. He had been the resident advanced instructor at Herger, but by the time I was good enough to take lessons from him, he'd stopped teaching to make time for all his session work. He played on soundtracks and trailers for all sorts of movies, local and national TV shows, and all the prominent local artists' albums. After persisting for about a year, I managed to convince Mike to take me on as his only student, with the goal being to have him show me the ropes so I could eventually become a studio guitarist myself. One of the coolest things Mike did was let me come along to recording sessions to see how it all went down. Of course, that only got me more excited about my master plan. But the best thing Mike did was to level with me. In retrospect, what he spelled out should have been obvious, but as a naive high school senior trying to figure out a cool career path where I'd have a stable job doing what I loved and be around for the family I knew I'd start someday, somehow the obvious escaped me. It was a no-brainer that session players have to be able to at least fake a wide variety of styles, and Mike and I worked on a lot of stuff that expanded my horizons in that way. But after a year or so, one day Mike just laid the unvarnished truth on me. He wasn't harsh and he wasn't trying to dissuade me. I think he just knew I had mental visions of this neat, uncomplicated future and needed a little reality check. He didn't bash any of the projects he'd played on by name, but he said something like, you know what, if you become a studio guy, you're gonna end up playing on a lot of music you do not like. He didn't dwell on it and the whole topic came and went so fast that he probably didn't realize how much of an effect it would have. At first I thought, well duh, of course I won't like everything. But then I started to step back and really listen to some of the stuff Mike had been hired to play on. Would I have liked it if I didn't know he'd played on it? 
The guy who had guitar endorsements? The guy who'd hung out with Eddie Van Halen at NAMM? But I want to play on it myself? Mike's confession simmered in the back of my head for weeks. It slowly dawned on me that if I ever became a session guy, music would become a grueling, time-card-punching job where I'd want to strangle clients for their cheesy, boring excuses for songs. I would have been miserable. You're listening to Conversations in the Key of Life, the premier guitar podcast that talks to you about your musical journeys. I'm Sean Hammond. Beyond knowing the material, having a positive attitude, being insightful, and having a grounded, realistic perspective, is there more to being a great teacher? To find out, we asked premier guitar fans to submit their stories about instructors who went above and beyond the call of duty, and we got a lot of great responses. Our first story comes from Dustin Wallace from Millville, Pennsylvania. Back in 1996, Dustin was just 14 and his family had recently moved to Newburgh, New York. He was desperate to make new friends and had found out the kid across the street played guitar. So one day Dustin snuck his dad's vintage Gibson flat top outside to pretend he knew how to play. The ruse worked. The kid came over and taught Dustin the chords to a Nirvana tune. And within two weeks, Dustin's dad had gotten him an Epiphone-less Paul and taken him down to Imperial Guitar and Soundworks to sign up with a teacher. There were two teachers, Chuck Davis, and the other guy was named Steve Raleigh. And both great guitar players, uh, but Steve's like a, like a pretty solid, like a really good jazz player. And Chuck seemed a little more like well-rounded. Mm-hmm. He did a lot more different kinds of stuff. So he played blues and he played rock and roll and he played like, he could do all like the finger tapping, like 80s shredder stuff. Mm-hmm. Were, were you also into that too? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I have a, I have a big family. I have a lot of cousins and I have a cousin named Rick who was really into like Tony McAlpine, Vernon Reed and those guys. Nice. And I was like, Oh, okay. So that's cool too. And like, yeah, I had a couple of Tony McAlpine cassettes back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, and like when you're 14, man, like guitar tapping sounds like the equivalent of someone shooting lasers. It's a, like, <laughs> it is the most impressive thing there is. So, and I'd never seen anyone do it. So I was like, okay, this is cool. So you knew, you kind of got to know a little bit about, about Chuck and Steve, and he decided to go with Chuck because it, he felt like a, a better stylistic fit. And do you remember the first lesson you had with him? Yeah. Yeah, I do really clearly. Cause he, um, I didn't have like a, 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 like a book or anything. And he ran downstairs and he came back with like the, the Hal Leonard guitar method volume one book. And it's like green sleeves and ode to joy. And you know, like that, that first couple of things for sight reading. And he was like, listen, here's the deal. I'll teach you how to play whatever you want, but half the lesson has to be dedicated to learning stuff out of this book. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, that seems, that seems reasonable because I, my dad and I had talked and he said, like, it's really important that you learn to read music because guitar players don't, don't usually do that. I didn't do it as a guitar player and I felt like I was always kind of lacking. So if you're going to play music, let's really like go for it and learn how to read music. So, Started with that book. Man, you had a lot better attitude about green sleeves and all that stuff than I did when I got those books. I was like, oh. I envisioned myself doing all the tapping or whatever because I started in the 80s and I loved Van Halen at the time and stuff. And so, yeah, I wasn't super stoked about those books. Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I didn't know what was inside that book. Okay. I knew that like the dude with the wild hair who could do the tapping said like this was important. And I said, okay, well, if you say it's important, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I was uh, aware of my ignorance. So Chuck had wild hair? Yeah, he's like, he has super curly hair, and it's, it's long, and, you know, like, it's not unkept. It's just, it's, it's not, it's big, because it's really curly. I'm envisioning, like, Brian May or something. <laughs> okay, not as, not as like, it doesn't go up at all. It, like, kind of uh-huh. goes, goes back, and then there's just a lot of it. Right. Okay, so Chuck got you to agree to dedicate half of each lesson to sight reading and stuff. So 
what else do you remember from that first lesson? Him asking me about like what guitar players I liked and saying like, oh, you know, I love Eric Clapton. And at the time, like Eric Clapton's uh, From the Cradle record had been on repeat since the day it came out in my dad's car. Mm-hmm. I know that he only had it on CD, but in my head, he like had the CD in the CD player. He had the cassette of it also in the cassette deck. <laughs> and if it came on the radio, he wouldn't turn it off. So like, that was what I listened to a lot. And I was like, yeah, you know, like, you know, he's got, there's all these great songs on it and I'm, I'm naming songs. And he's like, no, that's a Freddie King song. I'm like, no, that's this. And that's the, and I was like, no, it's Eric Clapton. So I, like, I have the CD. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it was like, gonna be a long week um, <laughs> so he started showing me the like the you know the the 12 bar blues chords so that i could play along with i'm um, tore down and you know i don't remember how janky my rhythm was but i'm sure it was it was pretty sketchy at best right but i'm learning that like dun, 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 dun. and i was like yeah like I'm a guitar player now. I'm, I'm 20 minutes into this lesson. <laughs> it's pretty exhilarating, isn't yeah. it? Like, oh my God, I'm doing what those, yeah. what I've always heard coming out of my speakers. Yeah, like this is amazing. And I, you know, I've got a guitar that's left-handed, so I'm, I'm going for it. And just that feeling of like being empowered to know something and be able to make a sound that was, you know, in my, in my mind, close to what Eric Clapton, the greatest, you know, at the time, the greatest guitar player in the world could like, that's what a thing he did. And I was able to do that. Yeah. So when we put the call out on Facebook and Twitter and all that for uh, people to share their stories about teachers who go above and beyond, what made you decide to reach out to me and, and talk about, try to talk about Chuck? Well, it was like, you know, my, I'd come out of lessons and my dad would be sitting there and, you know, the, like the lessons room was up like a really narrow staircase and my dad would just be sitting on the stairs and like, like, oh man, sounded good. And we'd walk out and he'd be like, that lesson was way like, so my dad paid for a half hour lesson every week and the lesson was always like 45 minutes, maybe closer to an hour even depending on if he, like when his next lesson was set for. Mm-hmm. And it was just always like that. And, you know, like I'm paying for, or my dad's paying for this guy's time. And he, you know, he's not charging more if we go over. He's just, you know, he, and he would get really excited when I got something. Like when something, you know, I was able to play a part that I hadn't been able to play before. Like his face was just as lit up as mine was. In a particular instance, you mean? Yeah. Like, uh, Blow by blow, we started like that's always the one that sticks out in my mind because I really, I couldn't understand why I liked that record and why it sounded so different. So, learning a lot of the songs, like you know, because we've ended as lovers, um, and like getting those parts down, was was just like huge for me because I you know I would go home and work for hours. You know, like I said, I didn't have like a, a lot of friends because we moved to the area kind of recently. So, you know, what I, what I didn't, what I lacked in friends, I made up for shedding in my room. So it sounds like, <laughs> um, you, you, you're like, hey, I'm going to start playing guitar so I can make friends. And then you got so into it that you shut yourself in your bedroom so you couldn't make friends. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, it was like, well, now who needs friends? I got this thing. Right. So like that song in particular um and and getting that part you know it was just like it was like a huge victory for both of us nice and then you know like i remember bringing in uh the guitar solo for winona's big brown beaver by primus right because it sounded so weird and different and like had this cool rhythm to it and i didn't really listen to a lot of country music so i didn't know that that's kind of the the bag it was coming out of and playing it for him and him like getting really excited, like, oh man, this is going to be so cool. And I was like, so he hadn't heard it before, but he was cool about it. He was like, uh, he wasn't like turning up his nose at it. No, never at anything I brought in, like whether it was, you know, 
like bad religion songs and descendant songs. Um, and I'm just like, you know, learning how to play chords fast or it is, you know, Jeff Beck or, uh, this is the guitar, Larry Lalonde. Yeah. And he was just so encouraging of anything of me learning anything. There was never a time where it was like, oh, no, like this is like this punk rock stuff. Like, mm, come on, man. Like you, you already know how to do this. It's not a big deal. It was like, no, let's get through it. Like, let's make sure that you can do it and you understand why you, what you like about it. And that's so important because there are, there are a lot of, uh, well, I don't know about a lot, but there are some teachers who they can't get outside their own thing. Like the very first teacher I had didn't stick with him very long because he was one of those. He was, he was at the university and, and he was a classical guy. And my, my mom lined this up and, you know, it was an, a whole new world for both of us. I was about the same age you were when I started and he completely crapped on when, when he found out that I wanted to play electric guitar. I didn't have one yet. And that I liked Van Halen and wanted to play rock and all that. He just made me feel like a complete moron. Like, you want to play that shit? Steve Raleigh, the other guitar teacher, later, like, as I got older, he, he was super cool and I, like, grew to respect what he did. But when I was pretty young, I had just learned how to play uh, Every Breath You Take, you know, and that mm-hmm. those chords in that song are, are huge. You know, it's a big stretch. Yeah, yeah. And I was playing it, and he he was like, "Oh, you're playing that wrong." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "You have to like do this." And he would move his uh, his pointer finger from the like the fifth fret on the low E to play the um, the sixth fret on the G string uh, because that chord is so big. And I was like, "No, I don't." I don't need to do that. Like I can just make that stretch. And he was like, no, but that's not how it's played. And I was like, well, like you're moving and I I can be stationary and this works for me. And you know, just that like one interaction, I was like, man, I made the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) Can't say enough nice things about it. But that day I was like, man, fuck that guy. You said you took lessons with Chuck for two years. Yeah. Which memory stands out the most of an interaction with him, or what do you feel was like? Was there a certain thing that just really stands out as the coolest thing he taught you or helped you open a new window to an idea or whatever? Yeah, not not very long after I started taking lessons, he uh, he was playing an acoustic gig at this bar, and he was like. Yeah, you know, like if your if your parents are cool with it, you know, have them bring you out and like bring your guitar, and you can play a couple songs with me. And I was never played really in front of anybody but like the kids in the neighborhood and my dad. Yeah. How long had you been playing at that point? I want to say like maybe six months. Okay. I was pretty new still. I mean, maybe it was a little longer because I guess I was playing solos and stuff. But uh, but it was I was still pretty new to the whole thing, so I go and I still remember like being so nervous to play in front of, to play in front of like a bar who was that was really not paying that much attention. Right. <laughs> but but for me, you know, it's like it's like the whole world is watching. Really, and like, and I'm just um, I'm like a wreck. And we start playing, uh, and the first song is Layla, which. I, there are few songs in the world that I know as well as Layla because I've heard it 10,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. More times than I could possibly ever count. So, you know, we start and he like throws to me for the solo and I don't know what's happening, but something is very wrong. <laughs> My fingers are doing what I know they're supposed to do, but something is wrong and I can't figure it out. And I'm looking at my dad and he's like, like pointing sideways, <laughs> but I don't know what that means. What he's telling me is you're like a frat off. You are a half a step out of key and you're, and you know, like at that time I don't, I'm not playing notes. I'm just, I'm like, I know the finger positions. I know the box. So I know where I'm supposed to be to play these parts. And 
I am a, a half step out of key for the entirety of the solo. <laughs> Dogs are howling and oh, and like beer mugs are shattering. Yeah, and like for the first time, in the, you know, like for the first time in the song, the, the bar is now really paying attention. <laughs> and and I look over at Chuck, and just horror on my face. And Chuck's just smiling. He's got a big grin on his face. And he's like, kind of like, like laughing, but not laughing in a way like laughing at me. He's thinking, son, you're paying your dues. <laughs> yeah, he, like he knows what's happening so well, and he's just like, he's like, we're gonna get through this part. And you know, to me, it feels like it's it's an hour and a half long, but the solo is really not that long. It's you know maybe a minute and a half, <laughs> and we get through it, and I go back to the chords, and. <laughs> like the song ends and you know he's like he's like ladies and gentlemen uh dustin Wallace on guitar dustin is one of my students he has not been playing that long and he played that solo perfectly a half step out of key <laughs> <laughs> oh he told everyone that huh? oh yeah and everybody in the bar kind of laughs and i and like that i feel kind of at ease and and i laughed too and i was just like man and he doesn't he doesn't ever make me feel bad about that. He, uh, like we, you know, we start the next song and, and we go into the, the songs and when we're done, you know, like he's, you know, he, like, all right, everybody give it up for him. And Hey, you know, everybody's clapping and, and it felt so great. And afterwards, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that, that it just happened. And so much so that I kind of forget that I, butchered this Eric Clapton song right. that had that had to have done wonders the the entire experience not the solo and Layla but the entire experience and how he stayed cool and explained it for everyone yeah made had to have made that whole gig not just bearable for you but on top of that made kind of broken the fear that you would have always had about ever performing, like just made it seem like it's not that big a deal, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, you, there'll be times in your life where you will die on stage, but you don't actually die. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was, that was really like what I took from that night was like, Oh man, like this was amazing. And, and he would have me out after that. He had me out like pretty regularly. Anytime he's playing a gig, Hey man, if you want to come out, like, and he had a lot of other students, but I never saw another student at any of those gigs. So it was like those experiences going on to, you know, play in front of those crowds with him was what really like got me out of my shell. Cause it's so, you know, painfully shy at that age that once I could do that, once I could, you know, started getting on stage pretty regularly. And then it was like one day there was a, there was a second mic for me. And then Chuck and I are, you know, like bantering between songs and, and it was just huge. It sounds like it was huge for you, not just as a guitarist and a music fan and a musician and all that, but really important for you in that time period of your life as a teenager, as a new kid in a new area, as a kid who was really shy. Like, it sounds like it was really impactful on your entire life, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, like important as like like just as a human. Yeah, you know, like and that was and that was the thing, you know, like Chuck was a great guitar teacher, like without question. And um, and you know, as I got older, other guys I knew took lessons with Chuck or you know knew him from you know the area, and that's like the that's the thing is like him being an incredible guitar player and a and an a amazing guitar teacher were almost like sidebar to just how great of a human he is (laughs) like like oh yeah like he can play anything and like he can teach you anything you want to learn and he'll teach you he'll make learning the things you don't really like that much still pretty fun and then you know as i got older um i get into touring bands and you know i you know i get to go all over the place playing music and Anytime I was back in the area, because my family lived in, in New York for a number of years afterwards, anytime I ran into Chuck, man, so excited to see me, so excited to find out what I was doing. And, you know, when I would, 
how you know like how are the students like you got any like like who's who's your stars man and he would tell me about his his students and he talks about his students like people talk about their children and i mean he has he has a family he has children and he talks about them glowingly as well right <laughs> but uh it was never like oh yeah man like you know you when i stopped taking lessons a couple years in you know just because you know i was like well I'm going to lessons and I'm basically at this point just jamming with them. So I have to like, I got to break out and, and kind of learn some things on my own. I got to start pushing myself again. It was never like a, Oh, you know, you're going to come back and take some lessons. He was just so happy to see what I was doing and, you know, and to hear how things were going and, and talk and hang out that it was, it was, it like stopped being my teacher and and very much was like, oh, it's my friend. Like he's you know twenty years older than I am, but that's just that's like that's my dude. You know, I see him and so happy to catch up. That's so cool. It's great. Well, hats off to you, Chuck Davis. Uh, we need more teachers like you. He lives in uh, in Venice, Florida now, and he's still teaching. And he like does uh, like performs like with a. A harp guitar. Oh wow! He's still doing it and and still like helping his students out and and creating really great music. And so if you're if you're in Venice, Florida, man, check out Chuck Davis. Find him. He's great. <laughs> he is he is worth the price of admission. Dustin, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you, Sean. All right, take care. Right, bye. Our last story is a special one. When premier guitarist John Bollinger heard about this episode, he started raving about his former teacher from Billings, Montana, Mike Hoover. Now, if you've watched any of our videos with John, you know he's infectiously enthusiastic pretty much 24-7. But the more I learned about Mike, the more I knew we had to bring John on to talk about it. But that was just the beginning of the fun, as you'll soon see. I met him when I was, gosh, I must have been like 14. Uh, so let's see, that was like uh, 79. Okay. So Mike Hoover, and this this was where again? Uh, in Billings, Montana, my hometown. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what made you decide to reach out and bring him up. I think it's that old... Um, it's like a Buddhist thing that when the pupil is ready, the teacher will appear. Uh, I'm probably getting it wrong, but but it was totally like that. Uh, my mom wanted me to play guitar because she wanted me to play in church. Uh, is really what it came down to. Really? Wow. We've known we've known each other all these years, and I didn't know that's how you started <laughs> yeah. playing guitar. It wasn't even your idea. That was it for my uh, for my mom. But I really got the bug, and uh, she. Uh, but I wanted to learn, you know, like, you know, music, music, not church music. <laughs> so my mom went down to the local music store and uh, met Mike and, you know, was immediately charmed by him and set up the lessons. And it's funny because my, my parents are pretty conservative and Mike is Mike, man. I mean, he is the <laughs> absolute, absolute cool guitar player guy that that you know you can imagine in 1978 a cool guitar player guy he was that guy so it sounds like you're saying you're a little surprised that your parents chose mike because he was not exactly the he was a little more freewheeling and and hippie-ish or whatever than your parents yeah, were totally total hippie you know they they rolled the dice on him and they were absolutely right i mean he was the perfect fit you know, just an amazing guy. So he was your very first guitar teacher. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had learned a little bit before through some, um, like our public park system had guitar classes, you know, kind of a GCD sort of thing. Right. Uh, so I had that under my belt. But man, as soon as I got in this little room in the back of this music store with Mike and just heard him play and and saw the potential, man, I was hooked. It was like magic, you know, really was. Do you remember what time of year it was? Yes, it was after Christmas, because for Christmas, I got this electric guitar, 
And uh, it was a copy of a melody maker by a company called Memphis. Just total piece of crap. Um, but I didn't know it was a piece of crap. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. I thought it was like a, like a rocket, but no, total piece <laughs> of crap. But they gave it to me. And I remember just kind of going through like a chord book in my bedroom and just crying because I sounded so horrible. I mean, not kidding. I was, I was literally crying. I was so bad. And uh, my, my mom said, well, you probably need some lessons. Son, put that thing down. Let's get you some lessons. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. So before that, uh, this is diverging a little bit, but I'm just, I can't help but ask. So before that, you had never talked about wanting to play the guitar or it had never crossed your mind. No, I, I was um, I was in orchestra. I played violin in the school orchestra, just uh, in in you know grade school and junior high. Uh, and you know, I thought guitars were really cool, but but it, my, my mom really did. She she told me to take you know to to take it up. She wanted me to. I think I see what happened because my sister, when uh, my younger sister. When I was a teenager, let's see, I, was, I must have been 15, 16, and she started taking violin lessons, and she was uh, probably eight, nine, and started taking violin lessons, and she didn't really want to. She got to be very good, but in the beginning, God, that is just freaking torture to live around. And your mom was probably like, oh, my God, we got to get this violin out of his hands, get something a little less screechy in his hands. Sean, I think you're right. That was probably it. Yeah, it didn't occur to me. I'm kind of having this sort of an epiphanal moment. I bet that was it. Because that had to be terrible having oh, to listen. Being around someone who's learning to play a violin. I mean, and you got to, I mean, we have to appreciate what they have to go through. They start out on, <laughs> on, on fretless. Right. There's, and they have, you know, someone puts tape on their fingerboard so they know where to finger the notes. But you still have to, like, stay right on that. And, yeah, it's... It's tough. So anyway, I'm totally just conjecturing. But no, I I think that's right, man. I think you hit it. That was totally it. It was. Uh, it had to be horrible. I can't imagine how bad that sounded. But yeah, guitar a lot more forgiving. So she got you the melody maker, and she's like, "It says melody maker on it. It's got to be much <laughs> yeah. more melodious than that thing." Yeah, that was it. So then she uh, she hooked me up with Mike. Did a little research, found like the cool music store in town, and uh, and hooked it all up. Do you remember your first lesson with him? Yeah, I do. I do. Because he was really, you know, kind of a, you know, a striking character. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> he he's this hippie guy. He's got a Les Paul. Did he have like long hair? and? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, long hair. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, it really was. The whole thing was so 1978. It was just fabulous. Was it basically like you were taking lessons from someone from Leonard Skinner? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I couldn't tell the difference. In fact, I don't think there was any difference. You know? <laughs> what happened in that first lesson? Do you recall specifics? You know, I can almost sort of bring myself back there. I remember just this little room, and I remember him kind of showing me very early on the pentatonic scale. I think that might even, you know, and just said, you know, there's this little box and you just kind of dance around in this little box and, you know, trust what you're doing and kind of had me up doing that right away. And I was like, holy shit, man, this is, you know, it's like that first time when you think, whoa, music is cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. If you started out with pentatonics, I could see how you're like, Whoa! This is how they, you know, all my heroes create those awesome solos or something. Right, right. Because I had been, I had been studying air guitar, you know, <laughs> really heavily for a long time before that. Because uh, you know, because luckily, you know, that was a that was like a golden age of music. You, know, you think about it, in 1978. That's when rumors came out, and you know, the Eagles Fleetwood were Max, happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Fleetwood Max rumors and. And Linda Ronstadt and, and the Eagles and all this great music. So, and, and really guitar heavy stuff. You know, like every time you'd turn on the TV, you'd see Waddy Wattell playing with somebody like that. And, um, and you know, Mike was kind of like that guy 
that guy, you know. So yeah, it was it was a perfect time to meet Mike and just a perfect scenario. And yeah, it got me up and running right away. Do you remember, like, did you have specific guitar heroes at that point? Did you have any expectations when you went into the lesson? Well, I was a I was a proud member of the Kiss Army, of course. Me too, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought Ace really was just, you know, the shiz niz. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I loved uh, I loved him. In fact, today, side note, I actually own a pair of Gene Simmons leather pants from the seventies. Oh God. Are they in a biohazard bag, man? <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I, uh, you almost want to wear two pairs of underwear when you put them on. Just <laughs> Oh, wow, you've actually worn them. Oh, I wear them all the time. Yeah, I'll wear them <laughs> next, time, next time I see you, I'll wear them. They're, <laughs> I, I hope they're not the ones with the big holes cut in the highs slash lower ass. No, no, no. These are these are leather, and they have they're the conchos on the side. Anyway, uh, but yes, I was a, a guilty pleasure, absolutely a Kiss fan back then. I thought they were great. So you loved Ace Frehley and Kiss. So that was where you were at as a player. That was a big one, um, and I loved uh, I loved um, Leonard Skinner, of course. And but Mike turned me on to Eric Clapton and. And that was just like, oh, man, because I had no idea. You know, I, I had no idea. And then turned me on to, to Dire Straits, you know, which is all about nuance and subtlety, which, you know, Kiss is not about nuance and subtlety. That's obviously a huge part of uh, what good guitar teachers do is opening new horizons to players, not just right. know, teaching them what they want to know. Because let's face it, if you're especially when you're a brand new player, you you may know what you want to learn but what you what you might consider as things to learn is pretty narrow and you're obviously not aware of all the things that go into that yeah exactly i mean if if your peer group you know it's just kids they're going to have the same you know bad limited taste you'll have <laughs> and, and when somebody that just knows a lot more can, you know, you can't know what you've never been exposed to. So that's a big part. In fact, I, I saw a thing about a month ago in, in Nashville, um, Brad Paisley and Robin Ford did a thing. Uh, they got together in Nashville and played each other's songs. And Brad invited his guitar teacher to be, to play with them. So it was uh, Brad's guitar teacher, Brad and Robin Ford. And he said, "Yeah, I mean, my teacher turned me on to talk with your uh, talk to your daughters, and it like changed everything. And how cool is that, right?" Yeah, that's awesome. When you heard that we were doing this this podcast episode about teachers who went above and beyond, what made you reach out? Because I mean, obviously, you didn't really know what to expect when you went to the first lessons, but now you have decades of really cool experience under your belt. So what is it about Mike as a teacher that made you feel like he really went above and beyond? One thing he did that was really cool very early on when I was, uh, I guess, maybe 16, um, he hired me to play this band. And, and that, you know, that, man, was amazing. Talk about going above and beyond. Because it's one thing to learn how to play in in a room you know by yourself but to get in front of an audience i mean that was huge and just to get with a live band in front of an audience you said you're how old at that point uh 16 okay so this is a couple years later a couple years later and at that point we yeah we were still he was still giving me lessons you know had you played in other bands with friends or anything at, by that point Kind of. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, band is a loose description. You know? <laughs> just like, just like, there were like three of us. There was like a, you know, some buddies of mine that had instruments. Bob Whitmer, um, Dave Blurt, and these guys in my hometown. And we, and one of them had uh, a Fender Super Reverb, so we'd plug like a two guitars and a bass uh, into the Super. All of them into one amp. <laughs> awesome. Did you ever blow it? No, no. I mean, those old, you know, those those old '60s uh, supers are like unbreakable. So, uh, so yeah, it was. I mean, kind of a band, but more just, you know, just jamming. And who knows what what meter was like? I can't even imagine. <laughs> if I was in there, it had to be pretty rough. But you know, we loved it. So anyway. So so Mike 
taught you pentatonic scales early on. A couple years later, he brought you into the band like as a permanent member or just brought you up on stage here and there to short, sort of show you the ropes? And Well, kind of as a sub, like he had a partner that couldn't make a gig. And so he just, you know, called, <laughs> called me to do it, you know? So I, so it was really like, and, and paid me afterwards. You know, it's like, I, I don't know what I made, but maybe 40 or $50, which. Yeah, that's pretty good back then. Oh God, it was a fortune. <laughs> now what kind of stuff were you guys playing and were you in bars and stuff or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, uh, in, in bars. Yeah. And, and it was great. And then when I got out of high school, he fired, he hired me full time to play in this band, played with them all summer, paid for my whole first year of college, just playing clubs with Mike. So anything else stand out as um, above and beyond the call in what Mike did? It was just such a, such a complete education because it, it, it went beyond just learning patterns and boxes and chords and things like that, you know, scales and all that stuff. It was about listening. It was about being humble. It was about tipping bartenders. It was about like <laughs> all these, you know, all these lessons. So John, we have a surprise here actually, because um, you're still in touch with Mike and you actually saw him how long ago? Well, we, when I'm on the road, when I'm on tour and I can get, and I'm, I'm near Mike, we, you know, we, we see if we can hang out. So I guess, I don't know, a few months ago, we, we, he came to a show and we hung out and played guitar and, you know, went over to his place. It was, it was great. Now he actually lives in Iowa where Premier Guitar is based now, right? Yeah, he lives in Iowa, but he still tours and plays around, you know, all over the place. So, uh, but yeah, he's 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 in Iowa. So we thought it would be fun if uh, we actually called up Mike because you've got his phone number. You guys are still close, and and we thought uh, we actually told him or you told him that we wanted to talk to him about what it takes to be a good guitar teacher. So he doesn't know that we're singing his praises here. So this will be fun. This Mike? Yeah. Mike Hoover? <laughs> yes, it is. Hey, man, it's Sean Hammond with Premier Guitar Magazine. Um, I'm on the line here with John Bollinger, your uh, former, not just pupil, but student from years ago. Yeah, Mike. Hey, Johnny. <laughs> hey, Michael. How you doing, man? I am good. How are you guys? Doing great. So um, we're calling you at your, your home in... It's in Iowa, right? Marcus, Iowa, yeah. Now, um, John and I have been talking a little bit about when he first started taking lessons from you back in, the, I think he, uh, memory, his memory is a little hazy due to the intervening decades <laughs> and maybe something else. I don't really know. But, uh, <laughs> well, I know nothing sure. about that. I had nothing to do with those. <laughs> <laughs> But um, he says it was like 78, 79, somewhere around Christmas yeah. Yeah. when he had gotten a new guitar, right, John? Right, yeah. He'd gotten a new Memphis Melody Maker. Do you, do you remember when you first met John? I remember that day well. What, what do you remember about it? Well, I had been, I never, I never planned on being a teacher. I kind of got roped into it by a friend of ours who had a music store in Billings uh, called Hanson Music. Pat Hansen approached me about this, and I had had no formal music education. No lessons whatsoever? Not really. Uh, when I started, it was you, you would stand right there in front of that guitar player that, and watch what he was doing, and then go home and, and, and try and mimic it, and then figure out what you know. Where were you watching guitarists at? Back when I started, uh, which I think it was about 60 when I got my first guitar, uh, but even before that, uh, where I grew up, I was still in junior high, and back here, I was, was about as far away from cool as you could <laughs> get. <laughs> you know, just the way I grew up back here. But I had a neighbor friend who was Elvis Presley Cool. 
he had the hair, he had the dress, he had the, I mean, you know, and he also had two sisters that made him that way, older sisters. So one day they decide they're going to do that to me. And they do their best. <laughs> but it still ain't there, yeah. And they take me to a dance. Back then, you had, every 20 miles, you had a ballroom. Big room. And they would bring in, all these ballrooms would bring in Fairly big names back then. I mean, there's where I saw most of the famous people that I got to see was the ballroom circuit. But who did you see on that? Oh, God. Um, they used to come through with uh, Dick Clark, Cavalcade of Stars. Oh, cool. People like Gene Pitney. Uh, uh, oh, God, names I can't even remember. Brenda Lee. saw Brenda Lee a lot of times. <laughs> Just what was up and coming at the time would yeah. run this ballroom circuit. Now there's a lot of nameless ballrooms that have sort of gone by the wayside. The one that is probably the most known is the surf ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa. Right. Where Buddy Holly and, and Richie Valens and the Bopper went down after the gig oh, that yeah. night. Which we were gonna go to that gig, but the blizzard kept us too far away. Oh, man. You know, we weren't going out in that blizzard. We'd catch them later. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, going, you were going out to these ballroom gigs, but instead of dancing with your, your pompadour or whatever the sis, your friend's <laughs> sisters hooked you up with, you were just up at the front. Is that right? Yeah, I, that was it. Now, they tried to teach me dancing, but they gave up on that. Now, the band that was playing at this one was a fairly, they got real close to being famous. They were the first ones to make uh, the hit Rollover Beethoven ah. famous. And who was it? They started out being the Flares, but they changed the name to the Velers. They were out of Sioux City. And I mean, they were on Dick Clark. They were oh, right yeah. up there, you know, being famous. They were playing there that night. Now, this little phenomena would be, if you couldn't dance, there was a parade going around, walking around the dance floor. There was this constant motion of people all walking the same direction, and you would be maybe three, four wide. And it, if you wanted to go dance, you had to walk through these people and everything. So anyway, they told me, get in the parade, walk around until you catch some little girl's eyes or something like that, and you're on your own. You know? Well, so I walk into the place, and I get walked down, and the closer I get to that bandstand, I am being amazed. These guys have these things in their hands that I'd never seen before called Fender <laughs> Any guitar I had seen was round. It was all round. And all of a sudden, <laughs> these things, these were amazing. So I, that was it. I stood there the rest of the night with my mouth open watching this guy play. And by the end of the night, I went, I want to do that. So you essentially learned to play the guitar mostly just by watching people at, at uh, dances like that and other performances like that is what you're saying. Yeah. We had a book that showed chords. And when, when we started, I had this, guy, this buddy of mine who is still a buddy of mine back there. He says, you get a guitar and learn to do it. He says, I'll get a set of drums. I know some other people. We'll get a band together. Awesome. And that's how we got our first band together. So now we went back to that whole awesome story to s sort of paint the picture for how your approach to teaching was informed. And now take us back to that, what you remember of first meeting John. When John came in, I had sort of realized if I was going to teach, that was the type of thing I was going to teach, the things that I had learned by doing that, boxes, rather than, you know, use notes just enough so they know the neck. Then you start teaching the neck. 
if I understand right, it sounds like you kind of understood or put yourself in the average student, average teenage student's shoes and envisioned being bored out of your mind with just a barrage of these chord books and theory books and sight uh-huh. reading. And you just wanted to go straight to what they wanted to learn, but not just, uh, you know, beginning students may know, hey, I want to learn to play like mm-hmm. Eric Clapton or whatever. I, although I guess you introduced John to Eric Clapton. He wasn't hip to that first. Totally. But, but you yeah. know what I mean. You, it sounds like you yeah. you yeah. wanted to give them the keys to understand what they liked. And in fact, I, I, I think we got you on this call under uh, intentionally false and devious premises because <laughs> I think John told you that <laughs> that we wanted to get your take on what it takes to be a good guitar teacher, but in fact, we're actually here to pay homage to you because um, this podcast episode, um, our podcast is called Conversations in the Key of Life, and this episode is about teachers who went above and beyond the call of duty. Oh, oh that's totally you, Mike. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And, and I put out a call on, as I always do, we, I put out calls on Twitter and Facebook and all that to get our premier guitar fans to share their stories. And John, you know, is a, a PG employee, but also a fan. He was a fan before that. And um, he spoke up, chimed in and said, well, my old teacher, Mike Hoover, was amazing. And so we we were talking a little bit about um, you before we brought you into the call. And he he mentioned kind of the same idea, how one of the first things he remembers learning from you was pentatonic scales, which is, um, you know, for most people, myself included, that stuff doesn't come for a while because the teachers are trying to get you to learn chords and sort of more basics, which is fine. But uh, I think what strikes me as cool about that and I'm, and what John uh, said was cool about that is it was sort of unlocking the the tools for just doing the sorts of cool solos that he was probably into at the time that I know I would have been into when I was that age too, you know, like this is what you use to create those amazing licks from the Skinnerd song or from, um, what else did you say you were, Oh, from, you know, Fleetwood Mac, some Peter Green stuff or whatever. So kudos to you, Mike, for, um, being such a great teacher who went above and beyond the call of duty. Totally. This is uh, uh, becoming a bigger honor <laughs> at all. You know, this is just to even be thought of, you know. But anyway, so I pretty well have my little teaching thing going. What I would do is I'd buy a Mel Bay book. I would run down to coffee place, copy about four pages out of it, go back and give them that. So work on that. Learn this part of the neck. No, don't just play it. Listen to it. Don't just read the notes. Watch your fingers. One day, this young fellow walks in, wants to take guitar lessons. So we go down to the little room, and I... I said, well, okay, what do you know about this thing? He says, I, I've, I've been to other teachers. He says, I can read anything you put in front of me. Is this John Bollinger? This is John. <laughs> through, uh, through that whole like public school orchestra thing, I, I really could read pretty well back then. I go, okay, let's check this guy out. I go up and grab some stuff off the wall, bring it down. He plays right through it. <laughs> and he says... <laughs> But I want, I just want to be able to play. I just want to be able to pick this thing up and play. So we started working on, you know, pretty much, well, one thing, we didn't have to go through any of the beginning stuff. His hands were developed. I tell my beginners right from the beginning, the roughest thing you are going to run through right now is getting your hands in shape to do this. You know, John was already through that. I don't know, we'd been through about like four lessons, and this is about the fourth week, and he comes in, you know, and I would show him the box, and I would show him what he, what he and try try show him what he could do with it and send him home. You mean like the pentatonic 
box, so to speak? Pentatonic was, yeah. was pretty much, that's pretty much what we worked with. I yeah. don't think we worked much with the major because at that time, everything I needed to do, I was doing with the pentatonic box. I don't care yeah, what was... kind of a ride I had to work up. I could do it either major version or the minor version of the pentatonic box and make it work. So that's pretty much what we worked with. So about the fourth lesson, he comes in, and we kick it off, and he is ripping. We finish a little thing, and I would just start throwing different rhythms, different songs, different, basically different songs, and I'm playing rhythm to him and letting him go. So I said, John, i got to run upstairs and, and uh, get the, the, what, something, whatever. <laughs> he said, okay, I'll be right back. I run upstairs, and I get, hey, everybody. Get over here to this stairwell and listen to this kid play. <laughs> I had everybody in the store in the back there listening to the top of them stairs. Ran back down and said, okay, I got that handled. We went into a different thing, and John would rip. Wow. We would get into some pretty heavy theory-type shit and everything. <laughs> you know. See, this is so good to have your perspective, Mike, because uh, the first 20 minutes where John and I were talking before we called you up, he was typical Mr. Humble, John Bollinger, and he's like, oh, I'd never had any lessons before. I just went in and so, uh, so sounds like he is, he's always had it, I guess. <laughs> no, but seriously, I, I, um, it's like I I learned chords and I could read stuff, but man, that's almost not like playing music. It's never. It's almost like it's passively connected to it. But when you get where you where you're actually getting your own ideas, you can play your own ideas. It's just huge, man. And that's totally what Mike did. Like I wasn't really playing music before Mike. I could kind of. I don't know if I'm making. Does that make sense? It does to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, just doing patterns, but it's not, you're yeah. not like invested in it. It's not you. It's just like somebody else's patterns. And Mike just put away all the mystery. It's like, well, no, this is how you do it, man. And it changed everything. I mean, it just changed my life, changed the way I, changed the way I think about things. My grades got better at school, just made me just think more. And that, I think that's the hallmark of, a great teacher, not just in music, but in anything. They they put themselves in the place of their students. Like, what what what, what would I want to learn, and how would I take this yeah. in? And it not yeah. like you're. Um, it's not like you're. You know, just placating them or playing to them or you know dumbing things down. You you've clearly had a vision and knew where to take this impressionable young enthusiastic kid that was John Bollinger, but you, <laughs> you, you knew where, what he needed to know to channel and form that enthusiasm into something that was music that was exciting and that he would love, but that would also elevate his, uh, where he was at, you know, take that raw talent and energy and enthusiasm and turn it into what he wanted to make it, but he didn't know how to do that. That's what a good teacher does. I've had students come close, real close to what you did, but they don't have, you know, usually end up not having the passion and not following it like you did. When he turned 16, we've got, we've been together, I don't know how many years. I had a gig <laughs> and I needed a guitar. I needed another piece. And there was no guitar players in town that I felt as comfortable with to be able to just be able to back me up. Now, was this a full band gig? It was a it was a a girl on bass and a drum machine. Was it one of those huge old Lynn drum machines or something? Mm, I'm thinking it was a Roland Roland Square Box. Okay, but we would we would pump them through. 1200 watt PV amp and uh, <laughs> you couldn't tell it wasn't a real drummer <laughs> so John's 16 and this is a bar gig 
So I know I've got to go talk to his mom and dad about, can I use John? Well, they think it'll be a wonderful experience, but they have no idea this club I'm taking him in. They were naive, weren't they, huh? That's how you got away with so much stuff, John. No, no. (laughs) They were great, supportive parents. Yeah, I love John and Betty, man. They were great. Yeah. Yeah. So we go in there. And I'm going, John, just, uh, you just follow me. You just don't worry about it. You know, you just stand back there and, you know, and do your thing. We kick the first song off. He jumps right up front, does about three Pete Townsend cartwheel, or I mean, <laughs> pinwheels on his guitar and rips into it. And, and I'm going, if I have ever seen a kid made for this shit, <laughs> John Bollinger. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. We had been using a drummer, but he had another gig. So there's a drum kit behind us, and there's drums pounding away and everything. And well, I'm pretty good at running this robot drummer. So at one point, the owners, this was a real wild bar, show up. They've been down to the adult bookstore. <laughs> Oh no, where's the They show up with one of these blow up dolls. <laughs> <laughs> they duct tape drumsticks to her hand and sit her back on the, on the drum. Yeah. So you had so, the, the rolling drum machine going and this blow up doll behind a kit. We finally had the four piece. Yeah. We had that it. is amazing. Yeah, at one point, at one point, I go, John, what are we going to name this band? John, without dropping a beat points up at the exit sign in which the exit door where the stage is basically covering. He says, emergency exit only. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the name of that man. Nice. Oh, man, that that blow-up doll, that's awesome. That should be... I think I'm going to do that with my band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was... was it was like performance oh. art, you know. It was great, man. Yeah, was great. I had to keep up with him before the night was out. I was having to keep up with him. So I mean, this—he started right off. I couldn't believe the stage presence this kid had, you know. So it sounds like it was just, you know, one of those one in a million wonderful matches between great teacher, great student, both enthusiastic and just raring to go. I don't know about great teacher. I learned as much oh. from John as I hope John learned from me. Or you know, <laughs> you learn a lot about what you do when you're teaching somebody else to do it. But that's that's one of the keys too. I, I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, and I hadn't really thought about it before. But that's that's got to be one of the keys to being a great teacher is you're not this puffed up like. I'm the teacher. You know, this... this, <laughs> no, this, I don't think it was ever that. <laughs> it's, it's, you can't be this egomaniacal teacher who's like, hey, uh, listen to me. I know the stuff. Shut up and do what I say. I started teaching a lot of really young ones. God, they're coming in at eight now. And mm-hmm. one of the things I tell the parents is there is no pressure with these. Don't come at them like <laughs> piano lessons. And, and I understand that a lot of the time when I'm trying to explain things to the young ones that I know down the road they're going to be looking at things like. You know, I I tell them right up front, now you might not understand what I'm talking about now, (laughs) but learn the language. Get used to speaking of it as the one, the four, the five, the six. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. things like that. You might not understand that now. But one day down the road, the lights are going to go off and you're going, oh, I see what Uber was talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> it's that balance. It's the putting yourself in your student's shoes. It's not taking the fun out of it. It's sort of almost like clandestinely teaching people the tools and techniques and the the theoretical stuff or whatever almost like sneakily, because it it just struck me that perhaps part of the reason that guitar has become, you know, the most played instrument in the world and so popular and dominating, obviously it's due to the Beatles and all this stuff over and Hendrix, all these things over the years, but perhaps part of 
the growth and the decline of people being interested, especially kids being interested in playing violin or piano or all that is because so many teachers in those other instruments are that pedantic, stick up the butt, uh, super strict type of teacher. And they don't put themselves in, they have these strict methods and they don't put the joy in it. They don't help the student, especially kids, see that this is art. It's about creation and Uh and instilling that joy. It's just it becomes a chore because they don't take that approach that great teachers like you have done, Mike, where you you gave the right tools and the, the scholarly or academic stuff, but you did it in a way, it sounds like, that made it fun. It kept their interest and it didn't. Uh, study or teach the soul and joy out of it, like happens with a lot of other instruments, I think. What you're really doing is you're teaching them how to learn. Because once they're gone from me, the learning shouldn't stop. Right, right. You know, I've been playing this thing, oh, God, 26 years now. And I'm still learning. It still teaches me. And that's one of the things I try and get through their head. I'm just pointing you in a direction. I'm I'm just, you know, trying to make it easier for you to figure out, even if you don't really understand what you're doing now. That is totally what you did. Oh, man. Well, guys, we could, I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours on amazing, hilarious stories that might get (laughs) one or both of you into trouble if we go into too much detail. But I wanted to, (laughs) I wanted to thank both of you for taking the time to talk to me for this Conversations in the Key of Life podcast episode. John, for reaching out, and Mike, for taking the time to talk with us and being a good sport about being deceived, and for being such a great teacher who helped give the world the whirlwind force that is John Bollinger. Oh, man. (laughs) Seriously. All right. Yes, yes. Thank you, Mike and John. Take it easy, man. Okay. See you guys. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for episode six of Conversations in the Key of Life. Thanks for joining us and be sure to check out our other episodes on premierguitar.com, SoundCloud, and the iTunes Store. See you next time.